All right, we're glad you're here. Had a good group out this morning, and uh, we're glad you're here this evening. I, I've already said that you're going to have a little bit of calisthenics because as you look at the passages, we've got three parables, and they're in two different passages of Scripture. So I'm sorry, uh, you're going to have to do a little work tonight. Um, I know it's horrible, but it'll keep you, keep you enlivened and awake. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get into these three parables here this evening. Lord, we thank you that uh, as we look at our world that uh, we can take comfort in the fact that you have a plan, that uh, the events of this world are not accidental, and that they will get to a certain point that uh, you will come back. And uh, we look forward to that day where you come back, rule on the earth like it's supposed to be originally with uh, Adam and Eve, uh, and uh, see what that's like. We look forward to time period like that. But uh, for us now, we've got responsibilities, and as we look at these parables, may we be reminded of what we're supposed to be actively doing uh, while we're here. We love you. Thank you for your word. It gives us light, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Let's start in Mark chapter 13. So we'll go in that passage first and uh, just uh, simply start there. In your notes, it just simply says this, that the three parables that we're going to look at tonight have something to do with watching for the Lord's return. Um, I could deal with each one of these separately, but they're very short. I mean, typically the parables are four, five, six, seven verses long, and all of these parables are like one verse in length with some context around them explaining why they're given. But all of these parables were given in the Olivet Discourse. Okay, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is the, that discourse where Jesus looks at the buildings there and starts to talk about future events. Uh, the Olivet Discourse is the lengthiest statement the Lord makes about future events, coming straight from the mouth of God <laughs> uh, to his disciples about what's going to happen in the future and what they should be looking for. These three parables are in the middle of that Olivet Discourse. We're going to get to some parables next week that are probably more famous. The Ten Virgins, uh, a week after that, uh, or two weeks after that, the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, these type of things. You, you've heard these. This is in the middle of the discussion, and it kind of goes together where the Lord's going to emphasize some certain truths, but it's going to be about individuals looking for the Lord's return. problem with uh, being able to be ready for the Lord's uh, return is that it can't be known specifically when he's coming back. We do have a general time frame to work with, and that's found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, where you have this prophecy of the 70 weeks that the history of the nation of Israel uh, has gone on for 483 years from that prophecy of Daniel till the Messiah was cut off, till Christ was cut off. There's seven years that haven't happened yet where the Lord still has to deal with the nation of Israel. Uh, we're in the, what is known commonly today as the church age. But that seven-year period of time, you would say people ought to be able to identify it because it starts, and I have the big blank that's there in the middle of that first paragraph, it starts with a confirmation of a treaty with the nation of Israel. You read the passage there, it says the man of sin or the, the Antichrist, I think he's called the prince there, confirms a treaty with the nation of Israel. The problem with saying a confirmation, it doesn't explain what goes on. It could be the signing of a treaty. It could be just merely a treaty that's already in place that leaders agree on and say, hey, this is going to happen. I explained it this morning. I, I've been in schools long enough where when you're in a school, you have a rule book, and sometimes you have rules that aren't enforced. And finally, you have somebody who comes along, or you have a principal who comes along, or you have a year that starts, and you're told, this is now in force. Okay, it's been in the rule book, but it's going to be enforced now. Well, that could be what goes on with this treaty. It could be, you know, two guys shaking hands as world leaders, or in a backroom deal, they say this is going to take place for the nation of Israel. There's going to be a treaty of some kind, confirmed, signed, we don't know what. I I thought about this. Almost every year there seems to be a new treaty of some kind in the Middle East. 
they're trying to bring peace to the Middle East, and there's politicians that are trying to bring this. But there's some sort of treaty that the Antichrist has a part of. And remember this, no one's going to be able to identify him for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. He's going to be a good guy in the sense he's solving problems. Um, So you really can't identify what the start of the tribulation is. Somebody asked me this question this morning, and I'll stop here for a second and just talk about it. Some people said, well, if you have a rapture, which you think about what the rapture is, that's when the word rapture just means to snatch out. The church is taken out. Those that are believers in Christ are taken out before the tribulation starts. People get saved during the tribulation, but those that are saved at that point are are, are snatched out. And people go, well, that's the start of the tribulation. You go, "Uh uh-uh. There's nothing in our Bible that says the rapture immediately starts the tribulation. We just know that that's the next event on God's calendar. The rapture's got to happen, and then the tribulation will come after that. I tend to, and I'm going to give you my opinion here, and so don't, you know, mark this down as, you know, this is, you know, the, you know, this is the truth. I think about looking back in the Bible, you have times where you have major ages of God's working that you have a delay in between them. For example, Jesus is on earth. He dies. He rises again. He's on the earth for 40 days. He leaves. And you go, well, he's not here anymore. This is kind of the age of Jesus Christ and the God. You go, yeah. There's a 10-year or 10 a 10-day period of time between Jesus leaving and the church starting. You read the book of Acts is what it tells us. Um, I, I tend to think, you know, that that's when the church age starts, and, you know, we've been in 2,000 years now in the church age where God's working through his church. Um, <clears throat> I tend to think that the rapture happens, and I, there is perhaps a little bit of a delay, so people aren't going, oh, you know, seven years from this date, okay, a bunch of people disappeared, you know, whatever. Um, they can't figure it out. I also think this, okay, I'm, and I'm of this opinion, that a lot of people, you, you can read, you know, some of the fantastic, you know, you know the literature that just kind of talks about what's going to happen in the future, and they try and base it on the Bible. I think when the rapture takes place, there's going to be something else that goes on in the world's uh, events to distract people from the fact that a bunch of people disappeared. I give the instance of this. 9-11, when it happened, that was what everybody focused on. Now, do you realize there was murders that took place in regular communities? Things were stolen, robbed. Did you see it on the news? For days, you, you, that's all you had was 24-7 coverage of what was going on in New York City and Washington State and the middle of Pennsylvania, and that's all you had going on for weeks as far as the news cycle, and, you know, people weren't really caring, oh, there was, you know, that taking place down the street and those in that community over there. It was all a focus on that. I think when the rapture takes place, my opinion is there is going to be something that goes on on a, a grand scale in world events that it's just going to kind of you know, there's people missing. Well, that, that's nice. There's, you know, major issues here. And so I, I tend to think that that would be the case also. So, you know, some people say, well, the world will know when everybody, you know, all the Christians disappear. You know, so beware of the fact that when we talk about end time events, next thing on the calendar, rapture, church taken out, tribulation, but I think there's, there may be a gap of time. It may be a couple of days, maybe a month. You know, a month. I, I don't know. It's kind of my guesstimate, but then things pick up and, and take off with a treaty that no one knows exactly. We're not told in the Scripture what exactly happens with the confirming of that treaty. You know, signature, handshake, what, I mean, we don't know. Or it may be a treaty that's already in place and they just say, hey, let's enforce it. Don't know. But we know there's a seven-year period of time that goes on And so this means that one cannot, at the end of the uh, paragraph, specifically define the day or the hour that the Lord will come back. It's not during the tribulation that people are going to go, oh, we can tell you the exact date he's coming back. They can read the scripture and go, it's a seven-year period of time, but when it started, not quite sure. You can get to the midpoint and find the abomination of desolation that's there, the statue in the, the temple of Jerusalem, and people go, oh, look, you know, that, that's there, so we're about halfway through the tribulation. But 
that aside, the, these parables are the Lord saying to people, look for my return. Okay, look for me uh, and my return. So you start with this parable that we're calling the parable of the faithful porter. And it starts in, uh, and I didn't mark this right, it should have been Mark 13, 32 uh, in your notes, not 33, that starts this section. But Mark 13, 32 says this, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And that's not saying that Jesus Christ doesn't know, he's infinite in his knowledge, but it's simply saying this, the Father is the only one that dictates when he's coming back. He's the Father, you have the, the triad, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father, the, excuse me, the Son does what the Father bids him to do. That's how he lived his life here and uh, the like. So that's just simply saying the Father is the one who gets to say it's time. Time to go back. But then it gets to verse number 33 and it says this, take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man, or Jesus, is as a man uh, taking a far journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the mid-morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And what do you have with this parable? The parable tells of an owner, as the paragraph is, the owner that goes away leaves his servants to work the household. He also leaves the porter to watch for his return. You go, what's a porter? Okay, a porter is one who's supposed to be guarding the gate. We'd call him a security guard now. Okay, but he's supposed to be watching and seeing certain individuals let them in, don't let them in, but he's specifically supposed to be watching for the master to come back. So when the master comes back, he can open the gate to the compound that's there, a master can come in, and uh, that he's ready and waiting for him. That's the goal. What you find is that both the servants and the porter are to be faithful to their job. There is no time for rest. Okay, that's the blank. There's no time to rest while the master is away because he could come back at any time. You, know, you keep working. You know, you don't slack off because you think, well, he won't come today. No, he could come back. The master didn't give him a defined time when he was going to come back, and so he could come back. What this parable is simply saying is that Jesus has gone away, but he expects his followers to work and be alert that he could come back. The servants need to have both, and here's what all the parables are about tonight, okay? If you get anything, these are the two things. The, the, the individuals are to be, oh, excuse me, let me back up. The servants need to have both a watchfulness and a faithfulness, okay? A watchfulness and a faithfulness while the Savior is away. See, that's what it's about. These individuals are expecting to come back. They're watching, and they're watching and faithfully working because they think he could come back at any time. They go hand in hand. You can't have, okay, not be watching but not faithful. Why, why, you know, watch if you don't really care? On the other hand, why would you be faithful if you, you know, don't when he's coming back, you don't really care, You're, you know, this type of thing. The two go together. The Lord expects from us, while he's gone away, for us as believers now in the church age, for the rapture or at the second coming, that we're, we're working and realizing that he could come back. And we're not just merely working, and, and think about this, it's kind of like this, when you have a company and you have a boss and the boss goes away, what oftentimes happens? Because the boss isn't directly there. Yeah, it's time to go, you know, do other stuff. You know, he's not here and, and whatever. Um, I can remember occasion like this. I, I was uh, working for Domino's Pizza. It was one of my first jobs. It was uh, one that I could actually get to. Uh, that's why I was working there, not because I like Domino's Pizza. Um, <clears throat> but it was a paying job. And I can remember I had a a manager, an assistant manager, 
And uh, I was only 16 at the time, so I could only make pizza. I couldn't drive. You know, it was the time back when Donald's Pizza said, okay, you get your pizza in 30 minutes or it's free. And so I was the one, you know, feverishly making pizzas so that they would get to the driver so that they could get there in, you know, less than 30 minutes from the phone call. But I can remember one occasion, it was a Friday night, and uh, the manager was uh, in the back room, and she'd just bought herself uh, a thing of lobster from down the, the road, and it was, you know, of course, the buttered lobster and whatever, and so she's got this apron that she goes in, and she goes into her office and starts, you know, eating this. The assistant manager goes back to the back, and he's out the back door, and he's smoking away. And all the drivers are out, and I've got like 10 orders of pizza that are there, and I'm just, you know, feverishly, because it's a Friday night, you know, this is the night where people want our pizza, so I'm feverishly doing that. And it was kind of humorous, because the area supervisor walked in. Now, he's in charge of multiple franchises, and he walks in the door, and he looks at me, and he goes, where's everybody else? And I said, don't know. I'm just making pizzas. He goes, okay, great. And then he goes to the back, and you hear this, you know, very loud commotion uh, of uh, yelling and hollering as far as, what are you doing? And uh, they came out and feverishly started working because the supervisor was there. Um, That's how people oftentimes work. If, If the boss isn't there directly, right in their presence, you know, kind of slack off here. Um, We realize this, that the Lord's away, and there's a tendency to go, well, he's not here right now, okay, you know, tend to not work as hard and whatever. Um, But we do realize that he's here watching us. He's with us all the time. He's not here directly with us, but he's observing regardless if we're, you know, working or not doing what he expects uh, from us. Um, he sees that. And so for us, while the, the master is away, while the Lord's away, we still work as if he was here. And we faithfully do it, not as uh, the scripture says, not as a uh, men-pleasers or with eye service that we only work when the the boss is within sight range, um, but we're actually doing this work. And so the Lord's challenging these individuals, you look for my coming, but you're faithfully doing work while I'm away until I come back. Then you can rest. Then you can rest. So watchfulness and faithfulness, that's the key to the the two parables here. You're going to see that theme come up in the other two parables. So I want us to go over to Matthew chapter 24. We've had the parable of the faithful porter. He's faithfully watching, uh, and everyone else is doing their work, and and, uh, so you have a watchfulness and a faithfulness. But I want us to go over to Matthew chapter 24, or go back to Matthew chapter 24, which comes before Mark. Matthew, Mark, yep. Matthew 24. And verse number 36, this is in the same section because you have some of the same wording found here in Matthew that you found in Mark. Verse 36, it says this, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But then you have this added statement that we don't have in Mark. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left." Jesus gives a comparison to what it would be like before the Son of Man comes. And he uses a time that you could read in the Scripture. You could read it in the Bible, and you could uh, know what this story was from Genesis chapter 6 and 7. And it's a story of Noah. And most of us, as we think about Noah's flood, we tend to think, okay, here's Noah building the ark, and and at max it took him 120 years to build this, but it may have been a shorter period of time than that. God gave mankind 120 years to repent, but you know Noah may have not gotten the orders initially right away, but even that, he's building this big boat in the middle of nowhere, 
And the people are just like, what in the world is he doing that for? But okay, interesting backyard project uh, that he's got going on there with his sons. And, and I'm sure he was buying stuff from people there and, and getting work from other people and paying them to help and, and that. But during that time, he's a preacher of righteousness. And what's he preaching? The Lord's going to come and judge this world. It's so wicked right now that uh, the thoughts of man are only evil continually that he's got to judge. And what he's given as safety or a saving to this is that he's commanded this ark to be built and one day he'll call us to go in there and then the flood's going to come and destroy the whole of the earth he's preaching this now understand as he's building this there aren't storm clouds over the top of noah's ark you know you can in the distance you can see the storm coming no no okay none of that what are people doing they're eating and drinking you know hey it's lunchtime gonna go eat where you want to go eat i don't know Let's go eat over there. Okay, then we'll eat there. You know, where do you want to get together this evening? Well, let's go over there. It's got a nice place there, and it's got some different things going on there. Let's go there. Oh, hey, we've got a wedding this weekend. You want to come? Great, good. My son's getting married. You want to come? Sure. The normal things of life are going on. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage, all of this that's going on. Regular life taking place. And then the flood comes. Because when Noah gets in the ark, the door closes, and people aren't panicked until seven days later. You've got the waters of the the deep coming forth out of the ground, waters from above coming down. And the judgment's there, and you go, "Who's, who's, who's okay? It's the one who was watching and was prepared, who was faithful, Noah, but until that time, there's no warning. So what's it going to be like before the Lord comes back? Now granted, you read the events of the tribulation, lots of bad things going on, but understand this, people are still going to, on a daily basis, do what? Despite the events going badly. Eat, drink, people can get married, you're going to have festivals, of, you know, feasts that went along with that. You're going to have some of these things still going on, just like normal life. And then all of a sudden, a sudden man's going to come, and you go, what's going to happen there? Well, it's at the end of this, there's a judgment that takes place as the Lord comes back. Now, I, I need to give you this blank. The world went about life as if everything would continue the same way. Okay, that's the blank there. In Jesus' time, at the top of the back page, when he returns, it'll be the same. The world will go on as if everything will continue. I mean, hey, the earth has gone on in their mind billions of years, millions of years, and it's just going to keep going. You know, we're just in a rough spot right here, right now. That's uh, what they're going to be thinking. And uh, they're not going to be thinking about the fact that the Lord's going to come back, but suddenly the Lord comes back, and what you're going to have this is that some were removed in judgment before the kingdom starts, while others, uh, it should be others, while others who are looking for his coming will remain in the kingdom. When it talks about one being in the field, and there are two being in the field, and then suddenly one's not there and one remains, or you have uh, the, other, the, the other situation where you have um, one who's grinding at the mill, and uh, two women grinding at the mill, one's suddenly taken and the other one's left, you know, what's going on there? I remember as a teenager having pastors preach to me, oh, this is the rapture, this is what's going to happen, that suddenly there's going to be people there, and suddenly one's going to be gone. You're going to be raptured up to heaven to be with Christ, and you're going, that's not the event that's being talked about here. It's talking about the second coming of Christ when the Lord comes back to earth, what are you going to have? You're going to have a judgment where people who have refused to accept Christ are going to be judged and going to not be a part of the kingdom. Those that have been looking for his coming and have faith in him are going to go right into that kingdom and enjoy the kingdom. This isn't talking about the rapture. This is talking about the second coming. And we'll get to that that event in uh, two weeks when we look at the parable of the... Um, the goats and the sheep. It's going to talk about this event. The Lord's going to have this before he sets up his kingdom on earth. He's going to have an event where he divides people out. Those that had faith in him, nations that did, those that didn't, 
divided out. Uh, so this is not talking about that, but hey, they're, they're, they're doing life because you look at what those people are doing. There's some out in the field, some grinding, you know, grinding flour for the meal, and suddenly the Lord comes back. So the understanding of this is that this parable um, is, or excuse me, that Jesus will come, you know, that Jesus will suddenly come back. We haven't read the parable yet, okay? That's all preview to the parable. Let's just read what the parable is. Look at verse 42. Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good men, we'll call him the owner of the house, had known uh, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Verse 44, therefore be ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. You go, okay, so he's had all of this where he says, okay, Noah's time, things are just going to be going the same, and then suddenly judgment comes. What's it like? Well, here's a parable of a man who owns a house, and he's got a thief that's trying to break in. Now, let's just talk through this. When do thieves normal, now in, in, in normal culture, let's put it this way, when do thieves attempt to break in and steal? At night. You know, nowadays, you know, it's, it's, you know, it could be any time, but generally they're trying to steal at night. You go, why? Because it's dark, hard to identify, people are asleep, you can get, steal things, um, and you as a homeowner aren't expecting them, more than likely. Um, what's the, you know, the, the, the whole thing here with having a thief, it's not that the Lord is coming as a thief and he's stealing stuff. That's not what's being talked about here. It's the surprise, okay? That's the blank that's there in that paragraph. It's a, a surprise as a thief in the night. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience where, you know, honey, someone fuck, really? You know, that's a surprise. You know, you thought it was going to be another regular night of sleep, and it's not, because surprise, there's a thief. That is a normal way that the Lord describes his coming. I have three passages of Scripture there. Um, somebody want to read Second Peter 3.10? Anyone want to volunteer to read that? I just want us to, somebody to read that passage. Okay. Um, Michelle, if you'll read that. Uh, Revelation 3.3. 3. Terry, and then Revelation 16, 15. Peggy, if you read that, okay? Because these verses will, will tell you that the Lord was not, and the Scripture was not afraid to compare it to the surprise of a thief. Unexpected that the Lord's coming is going to happen uh, for people. Um, 2 Peter 3, 10. Michelle? The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, it talks about the events at the beginning of the kingdom, at the end of the kingdom, the end of the thousand years. That's when you have the melting of the earth and fervent heat. But it comes as a thief in the night. That's what it says. Uh, Revelation 3 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and burned, and hold fast. So here you have a passage that is written to a church. Uh, chapters 3 and 4, you have letters to a ch the churches there. Uh, I don't remember which church it is, but it's simply this. Listen, I, I could come on you like a thief in the night, and you wouldn't even be aware. You're not ready. What he's saying is you're not working, and I could suddenly show up. Now, this is the church he's talking about for them, the rapture. Now, that's the next thing for them. I could suddenly show up, and you're, you're raptured. But then we have a passage in Revelation chapter 16. Do you want to read this one? Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Okay. This is written in Revelation 16, which is uh, at the end of the tribulation that this statement is made. Behold, I come as a thief, and you better be watching. 
You don't want to be ashamed. That's the idea of the nakedness. You don't want to be ashamed that you're, you're not prepared. You're not ready for him to come back. You want to be prepped for him because he's going to come unexpectedly. It's going to be a surprise when he comes back. So that's, that is that parable. Is the, the parable of the watchful owner is just simply talking about this, that the Lord's coming will surprise everyone. Okay, and it'll be unexpected, but it, it suddenly, you know, oh, it's, it's here, he's here, uh, and the surprise of that. Which then brings us to the third parable, which is right after the one that we just read here, starting in verse number 45. And this is the parable of the wise servant. It says this, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath given ruler, uh, made him ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily, or of a truth, I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil, and I'm going to call him a foolish servant, shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in the day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I say this is the parable of the wise servant and the foolish servant, because the next parable we're going to look at is the ten virgins, virgins and you have five wise virgins and five foolish. Um, And it's right after this one. So I I give that the category. You have one that's wise, one that's a fool. That's here. Jesus ends, as you see the paragraph there, with one last parable about a wise servant. The servant is connected to the characteristic of faithfulness. Faithfulness goes along with one who's watchful. The servant who is faithful until the master comes back will receive greater responsibility. He's faithful, he's watching, he continues to be faithful, he's still watching for the Lord to come back, and when the Lord comes back and sees him still working, he goes, okay, you're one I can trust with greater responsibility. You go, what does that have to do with the kingdom? Well, understand this, individuals that are here when the Lord comes back and uh, they're looking for him, they have faith in him, they, you know, they're, they're serving and working as individuals that are believers in Christ. Um, what the Lord's going to do is go, okay, well, here you go. Uh, I'm setting up my kingdom here. You get more responsibility. You've been faithful in little as you had, we had previous parables to talk about. You've been faithful in little. You're going to be faithful in much now. You've got opportunities now. So the parable is about the wise servant just saying, work, but it ends with the warning. Don't be a foolish servant or an evil servant. Because this servant, and the blank that's there, the servant who is faithful and the master comes back, receives greater responsibility. However, a servant who is not looking for the Lord to return will do as he pleases. I mean, if this servant thinks, okay, the Lord's not coming back for a long time. You know what? I can sow my wild oats now and then make up for it later. I can do what I want now and I can make up for it in the end. Or it might be that the servant thinks, you know what? He's been gone so long, he's not coming back. So I'm not going to have to be responsible and give count to him, so I'll just do what I want. What this servant does, thinking that the master's not going to come back, that he will not, as it says this, uh, he imagines the Lord's return is far off and that the Lord will not return. What will he be like? Well, he'll be selfish. It's all about me. He's going to indulge himself and say, I'm going to do what I want, and uh, if I have to run over other people to do it, oh, so be it. Uh, That's okay, as long as I get to have my enjoyment. Now, this individual would claim to be a servant of the Lord, However, he is truly not. You know why? Because when the Lord comes back, this foolish servant will be cut off to join the other hypocrites in eternal judgment. Okay, and that's the blank, hypocrites. Uh, you're, you're, the translation we have here doesn't quite make it as clear. It sounds like he, you know, the master comes along and cuts him up into pieces, you know, cut him asunder. That's not what that means. It means that he's cut off. Okay, you go, what? He's cut off from God. He's cut off from the grace of God. He's cut off and sent to where? Because it ends with, 
He is sent to a place that has weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that a description of? Always. Hell. You know, here's one that is a part, it looks like he's a part of the servant's household, but when all is said and done with the master comes back, he just, he cuts him off completely. And in the, the illustration of the parable, he's cast into weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. He's sent to hell. There are people who will claim the name of Jesus Christ and yet um, will look like the world. I had this question this morning. You have some people who would claim to know Jesus Christ as Savior, but there has been no evidence over 20, 30 years that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Are, are they saved? Kind of going. Scripture seems to indicate by their fruit she shall know them. There would be some indicator that there's been a change in their life, that something's gone on there, uh, that something is going on there. Uh, not that works earn salvation, but it's actually just kind of a showing of the salvation that's been received. But here you've got an individual not showing that, but would claim to be a servant to the Lord. What happens to them? They're cut off. Um, it's kind of a you know tough thing, but he, he's put with the other hypocrites, and you go, who are the other hypocrites? Those are the ones that look like, and that would he, he just in chapter twenty three before this, the Lord uses this term over and over again: hypocrites, 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 to describe who. In chapter twenty three, the Pharisees who were the ones who were doing all the religious activities and whatever, but they have no faith in God. They have faith in themselves. You know, I'm impressive enough to God. They have no faith in God and no faith in His Son, uh, and so they've done a lot of religious things, but they're not going to make it to heaven either. And so the story here, this individual who lives their life claiming to be a servant of the Lord but has no indicator of this, he'll join the other hypocrites in a place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That they'll be sent to hell. So the final, final statement here is a warning to those that are not watching and don't care that the Lord's going to return that is a dangerous place to be in because the end result for an individual like that is to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. It's a real place. It's not imaginary. It's not fake. We have to remember that the Lord spoke more about hell than he did heaven. In fact, he spoke twice the amount of times. You go, why? Because he's warning individuals because he doesn't want to be separated from them for eternity. That's why he sent his son to die in their place so that they could have the opportunity not to be separated from him forever. So that, that's the, the thing that's going on there. So it's not that God's up there hoping that there's a failure here. No, he's, he's desirous uh, that they'll be with him forever. But, okay, there's some that choose to be separated out because they don't want to have anything to do with them, and it's, it's eternal. And it's a real place, and the Lord warned people time and time again. Not a pleasant place. I, I, I always cringe when somebody says, I'm going to hell to enjoy uh, being with my friends. And you read the account in Luke chapter 16 of a man that went to hell, that the Lord describes the events that are there, and it's instantaneous that he is in torments. Not even, not even instant, you know, of, uh, you know, okay, it's immediately being in torments. He's just looking for a drop of water. And he's got memories of all the times that he heard. And he's telling the Lord, send somebody back to tell my brothers, don't come here. You don't want to come here. So it's a real place. So um, that's what the third one is, is that if you're not watching, you're not faithful, then you're going to, in the end, be judged, and it's going to be sudden. And it's going to be unexpected in the time for you that he suddenly shows up. All right, so questions. Uh, we've gone through all of those three parables, but a lot of things that pop up here, um, perhaps in your mind, you're thinking, comes through here. Yes. So when you talk about the Lord's return, it's when Jesus comes back. Not the rapture, but another at yeah. the end. When we talk about the second coming, the Lord came the first coming, he was born on earth, he lived on earth, and that. When we talk about the second coming, 
we sometimes, you know, generically put the rapture in there, but when you read the story of the rapture, the Lord snatches us out. That's what the word rapture means, to snatch out the church before the tribulation starts. He doesn't come to earth. He comes in the clouds, and we meet him in the clouds. And then there's, you know, the tribulation. The second coming is he's coming back to earth. I mean, you read the story. He's going to step down on the Mount of Olives. You read it in Zechariah. He's going to step down on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come back to the place that he ascended from. He's coming back there and um, then rule reign. So when we're talking about the second coming, we're more talking about that event where he's second coming to earth. Yep. Anybody else? I told, yes. Just kind of related. Um, I don't remember where I heard this, but um, maybe that Noah was working on the ark for many years, like as many as a hundred. Is that... Uh, Genesis 6 talks about when the Lord is uh, recognizing the sinfulness of man and the, only, the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. Um, I can't remember if it's 6 verse 5 or so, it's somewhere in 5 through 8, I believe, of that, where the Lord says uh, 120 years um, that he'll give them. It doesn't say it's going to take 120 years to build the ark, but that's, you know, that's the point where he decides... From our standpoint, he decides it's going to flood, and then he starts giving instructions to Noah. So it could have taken him as much as 120 years to build it. What's that? Verse 3? Okay. Uh, Genesis 6 3 uh, talks about the 120 years. So there's that element. There, Joe? Um, it says, that, you know, as in the days of Noah, like they're eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Well, like right now, in, for instance, in America and all over the world, People are probably paying more attention to Jesus coming back because this and that, you know, you got the country being invaded and you've got, you know, financial problems going on, right? And people seem to like to make statements about the return of Jesus mm-hmm. in the fall, you know, because it's close to Rosh Hashanah or Yom. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm going I'm to give you a passage to think about. Second Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 is the passage that Peter, we read, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But before that, um, verse 3, it says this, knowing this first, there shall come in the last day scoffers or people who are mocking, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And Peter's commentary, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed, we'd say the worldwide flood with water, perished. So in the days of Noah, they're like, yeah, you keep talking about this rainstorm that's going to flood everything, right? We haven't seen any signs of this. You know, you've got people in our world that are like, the Lord's not coming back. I mean, this is human history. We just do what we want to do. Life goes on. You know, it's been going on this way for generations upon generations of people. They eat, they drink, they marry, get married, they die, they have births. Okay, that's life. It just keeps going on. It's this, you know, cycle of life, you know, this type of thing that they they will talk about. Um, And so you have some people that are just, you know, in their mindset is, life just continues on. We're just in a bad spell here. Yeah. We still continue to live life and enjoy what we can of life. Yeah. So there will be people going, the Lord's not coming back. You know, I don't see any signs in the clouds. You know, I don't see any horses. You know, we're okay. Yeah. You can talk about it. He's not coming. I, you know, we, we, we know how far we can see with uh, satellites, you know, we haven't seen them yet, you know. Haven't seen him. We're still figuring out how far the universe is, but you haven't, we haven't seen the Lord. So he, he's really not out there. The universe is really vast and he doesn't exist. So, Michelle? I thought it was interesting where, at least for myself, the pre- two things you said tonight went against preconceived notions. One was this one in Matthew, where one's in the field and the other one was taken. Mm. I just thought that was the rapture. Mm. And then when you said that. Um, after the rapture, the tribulation may not be right that mm-hmm. It's just, and you wonder, I wonder where you pick these ideas up 
in your Bible reading. You, you, you take it and you hear somebody say it and they say it sincerely and you're kind of going, did they, you know, A, did they look at the context or were they just going, hey, you know, you got to be prepared and oh, this is that verse that'll talk about it. Um, you know, looking at it contextually, it's not talking about the rapture, it's talking about the Lord coming back to earth at the second coming. Not, not a rapture where, you know, it's, you don't want to be the one who's missing in this story because that means you've been sent to judgment. That's, that's the, the opposite of what you want. So, yeah. 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 And as I, I, I told uh, some last week and I told the group this morning, um, we're, we're in with these parables, meteor sections of scripture, especially when you start talking about some end time events and that you've got to be piecing together everything from Genesis up to this point Revelation, when you read Revelation, it expects you to know most of the Old Testament. In fact, as John's writing, he's not giving you all the explanations from the Old Testament. He's just expecting you to know that as he's writing the book of John about future, with the future events that he's seeing, there's an expectation of it. So what we're dealing with is something that's meaty. You have to chew on it for a while. A little hard to digest. And there's other sections of Scripture that are really easy. You know, we, we've had the parables that are really easy. You know, um, the Good Samaritan, you know, who is my neighbor? You know, well, who's my neighbor? Anybody who crosses my path. You know, I'm, I'm going through life and there's a person in my path. That's my neighbor. Uh, that's who I take care of. You're like, oh, okay. So, you know, that's easy. But you start getting to some of these and it's like, ooh, okay. I got to start piecing some things together. So we, we are dealing with some of the more difficult parables in this section, but it requires just more study. Yes? Um, so I'll, gi- I'll give you, you know, I'll give you the, I used to teach this all the time and I would give the whole of prophecy in 10 minutes to people, but I won't do that tonight. Um, but it's simply stated, the next thing on, on the prophetic calendar is that the Lord will come back and take those out that believe him right now and he basically is rapturing out his church. Um, that. The next event after that is the tribulation, which lasts for seven years. The Lord is dealing mainly with the nation of Israel. When you read in the book of Revelation, you've got 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are going out and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, though you have all sorts of people getting saved during the tribulation. That's a seven-year time period. Uh, both Daniel tells us that. book of Revelation makes that very clear. At the end of the tribulation, the Lord comes back. He came, it is um, Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1, when the Lord ascends up to heaven, there's angels that are standing there and just simply tell the disciples, you've seen him go up into the clouds, he's coming back in same like manner. That's what they're, they're told. So you have the Lord coming back and what happens at that point is the kingdom. And for a thousand years, Jesus rules on the earth. He rules from Jerusalem. He's there. Um, You have people who are having children upon children upon children. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Bottomless pit. Uh, Revelation 20 talks about this. He's in a bottomless pit. And you have life as it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a time where, okay, Adam and Eve are going to work in this, this garden that waters itself. You know, what kind of work is that? You know, I, you know, there isn't sickness. There aren't these type of things. And for a thousand years, you have the Lord ruling over the earth. Mankind was supposed to have dominion over the earth. Adam failed because he sinned and went and did his own thing. You're going to have, Jesus is sometimes called the second Adam. He's going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, you're going to have... Um, people at the end when satan is released that are going to say about jesus he's unfair he's unrighteous we don't like him let's cast off his uh let's cast off his rule and it's in an instant at that point that everything stops and you read revelation chapter 20 at the end of revelation chapter 20 you have what is known as the great white throne judgment that's the final judgment of all mankind that has ever rejected god and that and the final statement made to them is, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They're cast into the lake of fire. So all those that have rejected Christ throughout the, the generations are cast into a place called lake of fire. Then you have eternity. 
new heaven, new earth. The Lord creates a new heaven. There's this heavenly city that comes down upon the earth and you have no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no dying. We, we enjoy that for eternity. So you have these individuals that are with God forever and you have these individuals who are separated from God forever. That's why it says it's a second death. Death is a separation. You know, my body separates from my soul and spirit. That's physical death. Second death is you have people who are separated from God forever in a place called hell. And yeah. So next thing on the thing, church raptured out, seven-year time period of tribulation. Lord comes back, rules for a thousand years. And then you have the end of time, you would say, uh, human history where the Lord just says, okay, enough is enough, final judgment, those that have rejected me, sent out and separated forever, and those that have put their faith and trust in him and the gift that he's given through his son, um, spend eternity with him. No. Good question. Um, it talks about in the book of Isaiah that people during this time frame that a child will be 100 years old. And as you read, you're reading through, remember the time of Genesis, you have an individual by the name of Methuselah. He lives for 969 years. Just after the, you know, when, when mankind you know, initially sinned in the time period after that, mankind seems to live for a longer time. Now we kind of live, I mean, the scripture says we live three score and ten. We live an average of 70 years. Yeah, that's kind of where you figure it out. Um, but during that time frame, because there's not sickness, there's not sorrow, there's, or, you know, there's not sickness going on, there's not wars taking place because Jesus is ruling and reigning, you don't have the things that normally take people's human life. And so in that time frame, you're going to have, you know, a person who's 100 who's just, oh, you're just merely a child, you know. <laughs> Doris, you're merely a child. <laughs> um, but it, it will be like that in the kingdom. Um, that you'll have people that are, are living lengthier lives, and it seems to be, as you read through the Old Testament, New Testament, that they live a long time. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're inter yeah, this is, this is the, you know, as I said, the meteor, meteor stuff uh, um, here, but it's collecting all of what crossed the Scripture. Just getting us to a point. Terry? Yeah, I mean, we're gone. You know, when that rapture happens, our body and soul and spirit, if we're still here when the Lord comes, you know, in the rapture, immediately goes up to heaven. Um, those that have died in Christ, buried in the ground, what it says at that rapture time, that uh, their body meets them in the air, and so their body is a new body to enjoy what their soul and spirit's already enjoying. Your body can now enjoy it. So, yeah, there is a separation there.